everybody. It's your host for Recovery Talks, the podcast, Mark Lee Shannon. Today's guest is, in his own words, a good example of a bad example. My old friend, Troy Lucetta, is a legendary drummer in a legendary band. Listen now as he talks about life. Before getting sober, trying to get sober, and today, living la vida buenos dios. Clean and sober, still rocking hard, and working a one-day-at-a-time program that changed it all. That's up next on Recovery Talks, the podcast. From the birthplace of modern recovery, Akron, Ohio, welcome to Rockin' Recovery. Recovery Talks, the podcast. Dedicated to sharing stories and amplifying the voices of those on the front lines in the recovery movement. Our commitment to you? To always deliver straight-up sober talk with the sincere promise of a safe, stigma- and judgment-free zone. Recovery Talks right now. Welcome to this episode of Recovery Talks, the podcast. I'm sitting here with my buddy, Troy Lucetta, and you're in California. I'm in Ohio, and it's February 2021, and I am so honored for you to be here with me, man. I just, I've been a fan on a lot of levels of you for a long time. And I just want to tell our listening audience that you and I go back a ways. And when I was thinking this morning, I was having some coffee. I was thinking about this time. We're at the NAMM show. And it had to be probably early 2000s, probably. And you had known that I was trying to make my sobriety journey. And uh, I came up to you at a show and I said, man, I'm not doing so good. You know, and you were so kind to me. And I remember you saying to me, well, how are you doing, man? You got 24 hours? And I nodded my head, yes, but I didn't. <laughs> I didn't have 24 hours, man. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. You know, I do have 24 <laughs> hours. But I can just remember you looking at me like, um, yeah, I see through you, brother. I see you. But your kindness and compassion, brother, was so... So welcome to me then, because, you know, in those environments, and we're going to get to this talking later about, what, you know, when we're out working and we're working with people that, you know, when we're out playing or, or gigging or showing up at places, you know, there's people, you know, that they, that can and do use and drink. And, you know, it's, it's sometimes very uncomfortable to be around those people. You know, I, I found that through the years, it doesn't bother me as much. This is something I know we're going to get to, but the only time it really bothers me is if I see somebody playing on a stage and they're not there, right? And then that that kind of gets a little feeling in my heart. I kind of go, you know, but you know, you got to chill. <laughs> so ready. anyway, I want to talk a little bit about you. All right, here we go, man. You ready for this? Okay. You know, okay, man. So you came up in the 80s, about the same time I was in LA, you were up in San Francisco, right? You were playing in some cover bands, started playing when about you were 10, 11 years old. But really around 82, things started happening for you right? That's when, you know, and I think there was a lot happening in the music biz around that time. There was a lot of freshness. There was a lot of people looking for new things. In those days, you know, you still had to be an act that played live and you had to do showcases to get deals, right? That's how we did it. There wasn't any TV shows that got us deals back then. You know what I mean? And you came down to LA, I think it was around in 85 with Tesla, which was not your first big record deal, right? right? Yeah. It was your second big record deal. Mm-hmm. And you came down and you did showcases in LA around 85, 86. Is that right? It was pretty much uh, 85. We Tesla at the time, was the band was called City Kid. And we were bouncing from Sacramento where the band's from. I was uh, in the Bay Area, about 100 miles from them. So I'd commute out to Sacramento. And, um, you know, we were kind of building this thing. We were playing 
a lot out there in a club called the Oasis. And then we had a chance to start doing some showcasing. And, and there was a showcase we did at the Country Club in Los Angeles. I remember that place, man. That was out in Reseda. Yes. Yes, yes. And we, we were opening yeah. for Ron Keel. Oh, my and gosh. It was oh, my a, gosh. It was our second, I believe, I think it was the second showcase. But that was about 85. That was when Teresa Ensenat, her and Tom Zutat were over at Electra, and then they bounced. They bounced over to Geffen, and we were one of Tom's first signings. Tom signed Guns and Roses. He signed Motley Crue, Dawkins, and, and you know a right. lot of stuff in the eighties. And uh, that was really the, the the big break for the band. And you know, I mean, prior to that, I was in the Bay Area, and I was with the Eric Martin band. Right. Yep. And, that, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where I got my first real break, making my first record and just kind of getting my feet wet. But, I, you know, I've always been in the club since I was, you know, 17 years old. I know. You never forget the first big label deal, though, man. You just never forget that. You know what I mean? It's just, you're on a different level there and you finally can tell your friends, yes, yes, we got the deal. You know, you don't know what's going to happen, but that deal is is really where it's, and, and when we're working in clubs, that set us apart. That first major level deal, that first one, yeah. It, yeah. it did, and it was such a different time back then, you know. I know, man, I, mean, I know. It's so I know. different today. You know, as far as I can tell, there's, you know, at least 13 records with Tesla, right? And all kinds of concert tours. Correct. Sessions, tours, videos. You've done it all, brother. You've done it all, man. I mean, I mean, everything that all of us wanted to do when we first got behind the kit or when we first put on our first Gibson guitar, you know, we all dreamed about doing all the things and you got to do it all, man. I mean, that's just, congratulations, brother. Because you know what? You got to look back and go, how did we get here? How did we get here? I just did Lee Turner from uh, Darius Rucker's band and we said the same thing. Like, how did it happen for us? How did we get to do records like that? Whenever, there, there was a lot of guys that could have done records, but we got to do them. You know, you ever think about that? I think about it a lot, you know, and quite honestly, Mark, and I, you know, I don't know if we talked candidly, privately about some of these subject matters in the sense that I never felt personally, you know, I, I just got a break, man, I guess. I mean, I had, I, know, I had a, I had a will and a drive inside of me that just I know. wasn't willing to let it go, you I know? know, and uh, after the first deal with Eric Martin, you know, getting a taste of having a major deal and then having all of that just fizzle out over a couple of years after, you know, getting on the road with, you know, we did some of the Eliminator tour, we did American Bandstand, we did the Journey tour. And, and you know, we were young. I was 23 years old. And, and yeah. at that time when that went away, which was the best thing for me at that time, believe it or not. Right. And, and I realized when the band broke up, I was, I was happy and I was okay. I remember when the band broke up, driving back from Herbie's office, managed journey herbie herbert and us and uh you know the band split up and he had other plans for eric and i knew it was over and i was happy i don't know i just had this sense of freedom and i knew i wanted to do something and um i got a break you know uh when i heard jess voice a guy named Dwayne hitchens was uh, producing the band and he was in the band cactus years ago and he was over at money's house and he he called me and, he, and i was in san leandro and he brought me over a demo and i heard jess voice and i went out and seen the band to make a long story short and uh over two nights watching him i knew he had the it factor i knew jeff had yeah. something i knew yep. he had the voice oh, and i just yeah i knew that yep. if i joined this band that it would happen exactly as it did yeah that's um, amazing it was just something that i really believed about that but to to say about being you know truly humbled in the sense that i never felt you know i mean there were so many great more so so many more great talented people and great know, players man. than myself I so know. i got a break 
and I don't take it for granted uh, still to this day. I mean, I have a pretty good work ethic, I think, uh, for the most part. You know, I look at some people and I'm thinking, but then I think I'm lazy. <laughs> Yeah, I just want to tell our listeners, by the way, that he's in California. He was up at 4.30 this morning. You know what I mean? So we could go on and on and on and talk about gear and recording and gigs and all this stuff. But you know what, brother? That's not why we're here today. We're here because we want to talk about something that you and I share. I do know that. You know, we belong to the same club. You know, and we are we are partners in the same business. And and what I want to hear about with you is, and, and I think our listeners have heard enough of my story, what I want to hear about from you is, you know, what was it like? You know, you're coming up, man. You know what I mean? I don't know exactly when you got sober. Maybe you can tell our listeners that. But, you know, I can I can tell you that there was definitely a period in my life where, and I look back at it now, was everything was before that moment. And now there's after that moment. You know, that was the dividing line. Right. That was the watershed moment. So tell us about what happened. What was it like for you before? Well, let me just say, my name is Troy, and I am an alcoholic drug addict, period. End of story. I qualify. My sobriety date is the 4th of July, 1993, which makes me 27 Bravo, years sober. By the Bravo, man. Again. If I can get through the screen, I kiss you now, right now, man. I'm happy for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, I got, I, and coming back to you when you said, hey, you looked right through me, I didn't, I, I'm sure I did not do you that did, because I, 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 I probably didn't see it. And if you said, hey, I'm doing okay, I probably believed it. And I thought it's a 24 hour program. And that's all this thing is. I can tell you, I'm in Dublin, California, where I grew up. I just had breakfast yesterday morning as I was looking at this, this store. It was, I think it was an Albertsons. Because this was uh, when I was growing up here in Dublin. And that, behind that store was the first time I believe I smoked pot with my brother. He had a lid. And we got so high. And I came home and I was like 13 or something. And my mom threw me in front of the mirror. And she was, you know, just like, what's wrong with your younger brother? You know, your little brother, what'd you do to him? You know, and, and I was just, you know, high as a kite. And, you know, and it wasn't until I really got introduced to alcohol. I mean, and, and my story is no different than anybody else's, you know. My, my story is about really more importantly, I mean, quite honestly, it, it's a, the people pleaser inside of me, the wanting to be accepted, wanting yeah. people to like me. That was yeah. my story. I mean, I just, I just wanted to fit in. So I didn't even enjoy half the things I was doing at the time I was doing it, yeah. but I was doing it and I never said no. And I just showed up with everybody else and I kept doing what you were doing because I just, I just needed to be loved or liked. So I have the same story as, as, as all of us. I mean, we all share in the same program and I could go on about drunk logs, what I've done, but I, I'll give you a quick little synapse of what that looked like. Okay. Me as a child growing up, you know, 13 years old, getting introduced to drugs. My brother was older. I used to go in and out of the concerts at Winterland and I used to get, get high and I, and then I'd show up and, uh, you know, I got introduced to alcohol and everything else that goes with mm. it. Uh, the alcohol thing kind of worked really good for me because it's that same old story. It's that false you know, that false pride, man, I can, you know, I kind of got courage, that false courage. And, you know, you just kind of, I got something out of that that I didn't get from the other drugs. And I was just pretty much a paranoid guy. I got introduced to cocaine later, you know, uh, in my uh, late teens, early 20s. That's pretty early, brother. That's pretty early. Well, you know, this was 19, yeah, late 70s for me. Yeah, I'm 61 yeah. years old now. So, 
Yeah. Um, and, 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 and still a young man. <laughs> I think I feel that way, you know, I'm still very active. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the short story around my using and coming up and having everything, being in a band, being on the road mm. where everything is around. Right. I had everything and I had nothing. Uh, I really was just so empty inside. And a friend of mine, this guy, uh, David Mayer, I call him Taz. And, uh, you know, we used to party back in the day and he had gotten sober. And he said, you know, he, he kind of challenged our relationship by the fact that he couldn't do it anymore. He watched me do what I was doing to myself. And I was like, I didn't get it. I'm like, what are you talking about? You know, I mean, just doing what everybody else is doing. You know, I didn't see anything. Did you see the road signs though, man? Where the road signs starting to show? For me, you know, I, I, there's three stages for me. It was like, first it was fun. Second it was like consequences started showing up. You know, it was like, what? just happened, you know, problems with this problem that, you know, losing gigs, you know, did you start, were there, were there any road signs where you can look back and go, man, yeah, that's kind of when it first started showing up for me that I could see I had a problem. What was that about? I think for me being, uh, I mean, I don't know that I really saw the signs because I was in such denial and not, I was just in complete ignorance of even having a problem. But I did. I just knew that when I started with that cocaine thing, I couldn't stop, man. That was yeah. the drug that got me and yeah. fast forwarded me. I mean, it was 1987. I hit the road with uh, Tesla. 91. I'm in treatment. So uh, this friend of mine, Taz, who gave me, "Am I an addict?" You know, he said, "They just answered as honestly as you can." And and at that point, I had not hit a no, and I really knew. At that point, I was scared. I knew there was something wrong, and now I was identifying the problem. So I kind of, the short story again, uh, fast forwarding, I started going to some meetings, you know, and I was, you know, petrified, you know, and, but I, I, I so was, was treat, was treatment part of your, part of your deal? Did you end up in a treatment center? I, I did. How did that work out? I did. Yeah. And, and, and that's where I was headed with it. What happened was I was trying to get sober. I couldn't get sober and I had a sponsor and I'd come home. I'd put 60 days, 90 days and all these different days together and a lot of 30 day chips and over the first year plus, but I was, you know, trying to work the steps and I was trying to do the deal. And finally I gave into my sponsor and said, if I, if I can't get do this and if I had another relapse that I would, you know, go down and consider treatment. And I came home off a three month tour and uh, we were in Europe and I came home, I had a relapse and uh, I went in on a Monday morning to meet my sponsor uh, he took me down to a place called New Beginnings in San Ramon, mm. and it was a brand new facility treatment center. And, uh, and I had an interview with the gal at the desk, and you know, she told me all about the facility and told me why I she felt I needed to do an inpatient program. Listening to me talk—that's a big move. That's a big move. Inpatient, and I wasn't gonna—I was not doing inpatient because I only had five weeks off, and I was back out. And I'd been gone for three months at that time. And I said, no, I can't do that to my family. And, you know, and <laughs> that was my thinking, of course. Uh, but at any rate, uh, that I came home and I agreed. She talked me into basically going inpatient. And I decided, I came home, I told my wife what I was doing. I was going in the next day. My wife said to me at the time, she was freaked out by me going. She's like, what are you doing? You're not that bad. 
So those were the last words I heard going in there. So I'm like, cool, she doesn't want me here. I'm out of here as soon as I want to be out of here. They told me there's no bars, no locks. You know, I could leave anytime I want, come check it out. So I did. And a week into that, you know, my my daughter and my wife had come down and I was with the counselor and came out and he decided they had conspired against me. <laughs> they, wanted me they, wanted, they wanted me to stay all of a sudden. And I got That's really our thinking, upset. man, right? Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I got really upset and I just, I, I, but that was my moment of surrender. And I, I remember going, you know, back to my room and, uh, and I hadn't given it, you know, a real attempt at that time. Cause I was basically just, you know, running my own shows stuff will run right right you know how we are and uh that's where i was at man i couldn't see what i couldn't see and i couldn't hear what i couldn't hear but that that point of surrender came when i went back to my room jumped on my bed and i just had a sincere prayer to the lord and i just asked that i could stay and give it a hundred percent and stay sober because i knew the statistics of only you know maybe there's a couple of us in you know a treatment center out of 30 40 people maybe might stay sober But the one thing in common, I think with all of us that, that do end up with some long-term abstinence is we get to that moment where we say, please help me, right? We can really get down on our knees and say, please help me. Well, I do. You really know it, you know? And that's the turning point for me. It was for me. And I'm hearing that in your story too. It's exactly what it was for me. And uh, and I went into uh, November 21st, 91. I would be 29 years sober, but I had a relapse in 18 months of sobriety, which was interesting. And I was pretty proactive. I was going to a lot of meetings, doing a lot of a lot of things, and I'm you know sponsor steps and doing the deal. And didn't see just like the book talks about it. There will come a time where no human power will keep you sober. I experienced this, and I did not see it coming. I was 18 months sober. I was at my noon meeting where I was secretary in the meeting. My sponsor was chairing. I was chairing the meeting. He came out and shared his story. And that day I relapsed. I didn't see it coming. Wow. I did wow, not man. see it coming, and I was on my ninth wow. step and doing my step work. Right. And so, was it just booze? Is it you just had you just no, had a drink? What you said it was, was drink? What happened was, I had a session that day. I owned a recording studio. The guy didn't show yeah. up. My wife and I were having problems for about the last month, and it came down to uh, you know, even though I had that sincere prayer about God, you know, it's it's, it's that daily reprieve, you know. And when I'm not staying connected to that, like this morning, I get up and I pray. That's the first thing I do is ask for help. Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. And, and, I, and I have to, you know. Um, but that day, uh, what happened was, is I had... Uh, Gratitude. Say thank you. I had a no-show and I was going to... My son was out of town and I was going to go to Half Moon Bay and just get out on my own because I was like, man, I was sleeping on the couch. It was not a good scene. Thought, Here, I'm thinking I'm doing a fantastic job. I'm working yeah, the steps, yeah. I'm going to meetings, I'm secretary and I'm chairing, I'm, you know, all this stuff is happening. Here, uh, I got in my truck, I was driving away. Quite honestly, here's the story. Uh, I had some friends of mine that were playing the Cow Pals in San Francisco. And I remember getting in the car and I was driving, I had a phone in my truck and I'm driving. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm shaking and I'm driving right to my dealer's house and don't even realize what I'm doing. I drove right there, I showed up, I picked up some coke. I had a relapse that night. I thought I didn't think I was going to survive and call my sponsor the next day, which became, I went out on the second, still up on the third. So the 4th of July, which I did not plan, happened to be the, you know, my first day of sobriety. And I just jumped right back into meetings 
And I managed to stay sober all this time by just doing the program, you know. So if we were talking to people today and we wanted to tell them what we know about the relapse, because listen to me, brother, I was the rodeo clown of relapses. When I came in, you know, in 2013, I was like down on my knees, help me, Jesus. You know, I was like everything, yes. right? You know, but but I wasn't ready yet. You know what I mean? And I would come in, same story. I'd be like, yeah, I'd be like six weeks. I'm like, I got it, man. I'm dead. And then I'd be like, boom, gone. You know, what would you tell people? What could we tell people today, right? From where you and I were. I would tell you today that I am the good example of the bad example. And I, and I have amnesia at times and I forget really fast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because let me tell you something about this disease. It is one day at a time program because it talks to us and we, we start to get pulled away from the meetings. We pull away from our sponsor. I still have a sponsor. I still got a home group. I'm still proactive. I tried to call my sponsor this morning and I'm, I'm reminded by being accountable. And if I'm not accountable and I'm not doing the things that I need to do and stay in touch with this program, I don't believe I will stay sober. I think it really is about no matter what you're recovering from, no matter what it is, if you don't put your recovery at the center of your life, right front and center, you're putting yourself in danger. Yep. You really are putting yourself in danger. And I think it never goes away, no matter how much time you get. You know, I, I got coins up the butt, but I keep a 24-hour coin in my pocket. That's right. it. That's all there is. That's, that's it. The silver 10 one. That's what the I silver got. silver 10 one. That's it. That's all there is. When I got my 27th year chip, uh, my sponsor, uh, and I stood up and I got a 24-hour chip because that's the one I have in my book. There you go, man. That's the one you keep, right? But yeah, that's the one because it is just a 24-hour deal. I, I'm reminded, you know, uh, I, I'm not well. I'm not. And, and I know that because I know how when my thinking goes and I know what happens. I'm in a much better place today. I have a program to live by. I can do life on life's terms only with this program and the steps. People ask me all the time, you know, Mark Lee, man, you know, I, I get it, brother. You do, you're doing good. You're sober. But you work in a lot of places where there's a lot of partying going on. You know what I mean? How do you manage that? And and I, I sometimes pause before I answer that question because I, I, I try to question, what's the intention that somebody's asking me this for? You know, are they truly concerned or are they just trying to go, come on, man, I know. I know you. I know. You know right? You know, I guess I would want to say to you is, is when you first made the turn. Right. And you knew that you had to change your life. You know, we're still going out and playing, you know, and, you know, there's still stuff going on backstage. There's still people like, come on, man, let's go. It's hot. It's hot. It's hot. That's how, you know, how, did, how did that work for you when you first, what were, what were the things that you did in the first few miles that made a difference for you? I got out. I went in November 21st. I got out December 21st. I had the tools of the program. Yeah, toolbox. Uh, back then, back mm -hmm. then, there was no cell phones and internet and all of that when I got sober. Mm. So uh, I had to, I, next thing I know, I'm jumping on a plane. It was New Year's. We were flying to Japan to play with Metallic at the Tokyo Dome. Mm. And uh, it was New Year's. And I'm like, so the first thing I did when I landed there was went to an English speaking meeting. I played my gig opening for Metallica. I knew I had to get out of the building. Right. And uh, I had a guy that was with me at the meeting. And he invited me to a sober party that night. And uh, he, right after I got off stage, I mean, we split. We got out of there. Right. And I went to my first sober party, sat in the corner of a room. 
and talked to nobody pretty much because I was just isolated and in fear. Right. And just, I wasn't a real social butterfly. Uh, got up the next day, went to a meeting. That next morning, jumped on a flight, came home, went to my, yep. my Wednesday night meeting. So I had been in two meetings, two different countries, New Year's Day, 91 into 92. I had those tools. And uh, so when I would get uncomfortable, I sat with the band, told them what was going on with my disease, where I, what I did. And they, you know, God bless them, you know, we were going to use the bus as, as one half of the bus would be sober and, you know, for just, and I was the only sober guy, so that didn't mean anything. And that lasted about a week. And so basically, you know, they don't shut down the bars when we get sober, you know, it's just how it is. And so I went to, I went to my meetings, I stayed in my bunk, but at the same time, I did not want to isolate and be that guy. And I wanted, I wanted to go out. So I, I have to, and I, and I, so I would, I would go out with the guys, I would hang with them and, and I would have my coffee, I'd be at the bar, but I always knew it was a slippery slope and I don't recommend that for anybody. But in my circumstances, being on the road, I knew if I couldn't do this and stay sober and figure it out that I couldn't be in the band. I knew it was good. That's it, right? Because you can't, you got to still hang. Those are easy today. I mean, you know, we got the internet, our phones, and just <laughs> give me an AA meeting, right? I mean, we can get anywhere. At that time, you know, yeah, I had to, the first thing, part of the tools and the program that I had at the time was the first thing I do when I got in any city was to call Alcoholics Anonymous. And I would always do that, pick up the phone call and find a meeting. Uh, and, you know, and I get to a meeting the best I could. And I was, I was doing, I was really proactive. I did that through Europe and, you know, I went to the American church and Paris and, uh, and I had a lot of wonderful experiences being on the road, you know, getting sober. It wasn't easy. I really appreciate you taking the time to tell your story to our listeners today. The thing I would want to ask you now is, is what's it like for you today, man? How's life for you today? What's going on? It's uh, it's awesome. I'm here at my son's house, spending time with him and family. And what's the most important thing for me today? It's uh, it's that. That is my first priority today. I'm readjusting my life so I can do that. I have my mom with me. You know, we're all oh, getting man, older. That's awesome. yeah. um, life is good. You know, um, I'll be talking to my sponsor in a little bit. Things are wonderful. I mean, I'm still sober and I'm fairly, I'm fairly pretty good, you know, in my health. I'm, I work at that as well. Yeah, we got to, man, right? You know, especially for a drummer, man, you can't, you can't just go hang out for a while and not play drums. Uh-uh. Yeah. You know, yeah. no, you gotta, you no. gotta stay playing. <laughs> how, how, much do you, how much do you have to practice a day? If you were, tell somebody, okay, in order to stay in shape during COVID as a drummer, how much do you got to play when you're not doing gigs? Because there's not as many gigs as I used to do, right? So how much are you playing? I've coined myself the good, I'm a good example of a bad example. And, I, and I'm in schools talking to kids, you know, uh, about, you know, drugs and alcohol and doing that. And I have a program called TroyShowsUp.com if you haven't seen it. Oh, man, you know what? Let's, let's make sure we connect on that because I want to make sure that we get that in, 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 the, in, the, in the liner notes for the podcast and everything. Make sure we do that so we can have that as a, for, for a reference. TroyShowsUp.com. But, um, you know, based on the things that I'm doing and things that keep me sober and keep me grounded, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a really good place only because of this program, you know? Yeah. You know what, brother? The last question I always like to ask everybody is, and this is the one that, that sometimes is easy to answer, sometimes not so easy to answer. Let's say we all had a time travel Uber, okay? 
time travel over. You know, we call that, we got the app. I got the app, man. We can go back to that time when we first started, man, and we could talk to that that person. I could talk to that Mark Lee that, that's in the in Hardesty Park in Akron, Ohio, the first time he's getting turned on to, you know, smoking some weed. If I could go back in time and talk to that guy, I know what I would say to that kid. I know what I would say. You know, if I could go back to that person that was down on his knees after he lost his last corporate job, I know what I would say to that person. I would say, keep the faith. It's going to be all right. You're going to be there. Just hang on. Just keep working the program. Man, find your tribe. Be with people. Do you ever think about if you could get into a time travel Uber and go back and talk to yourself back in the day? Would, would, it, would you say anything or would you just kind of like, would just kind of give them a big hug? What would you do, brother? You know, the one thing I've understood over the years is, you know, we can't see till we can see. We can't hear till we can hear. And, you know, the one thing that I think about as me being a child and young is, is just if I had that voice to share with myself, just letting me know that, hey, you're okay. What you're going through is completely normal. These are normal things we go through and try to relate on a personal note so I could share that message that they're loved. You don't have to do these things to fit in because this is where it all starts. And it all starts with taking that first drag off a cigarette or that first hit off a joint or that first sip off of alcohol, you know, because we just want to make that change, you know? So that, that is such a great, great question. And, um, you know, I'm not sure how well I've answered it. Oh, you've done a great job, brother. I, I just want to, I just want to exhale for a minute, man. Just, Thank you so much for being here, man. I'm so glad to reconnect with you after all these years, man. It's been too long, too long. I mean, you know, now that you got my number, I got your number, I'm going to bug you. You know what I mean? And if you get around to Akron, Ohio, you know what I mean? You come back in, you know where you're going, man. You're going to come, we're going to sit down, we're going to go to the places, we're going to do the things, okay? I'm telling you, man. So we got to hook up. And if I get down to Nashville, which I'm hoping to do at some point when all this COVID craziness is done, you know what I mean? You know, I, I definitely will call you up, brother, and we'll, we'll go do our thing together. But, you know, to all our listeners, I just want to say thank you to, to Troy Lucetta from Tesla's, the incredible, incredible band Tesla, for being here and sharing his story with us. And by being here today, my brother, you are helping people, and I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for what you do in the community and for helping people. And, you know, I just, I can't, I can't describe to you how privileged I feel to have you do this with me today. Well, I'm completely honored, and thank you for having me, and we will definitely stay in touch, and I'm doing a lot of work, so you should talk to me because maybe we, I don't know if you have a studio, but maybe we can do some work together. <laughs> we got to do some work together, brother. <laughs> yeah, there's that too, right? I'm working on a new record. You, What our listeners can't see is is I got about, I got about 23, 24 records behind me you know, that I played on, thankfully, with with my, my, my boss and my mentor, Mr. Stanley, and, and you know, that thing you were talking earlier earlier about how did you get to do all those records and I, I sometimes walk in this room and I get to see those now none of them are platinum like you brother you got the platinum records you know but I look at that and I go how did, how did this kid get the chance to do that and and I, I just feel so blessed that I am now clear-headed sober and alive and living and being able to do that you know and and uh, if anything I just want to say to our listeners you know don't lose faith keep hope. You know, there is a road to recovery and there is a way people do recover. 
it does happen. And this too shall so I just want to say, <laughs> Yeah, brother. So thanks, everybody, for staying tuned to this episode. And please, you know, subscribe, download, and share, and follow, and all those wonderful things that we do. And, and stay tuned for the next episode of, uh, of this, uh, this wonderful podcast featuring the people on the front lines in the recovery movement, the lantern holders, and the lighthouses. And until then, everybody stay standing and steady on. <laughs>